Welcome to Liftoff from your friends at Relay FM. It is brought to you this week by Squarespace and StoryWorth. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, for these 86 episodes by my co-host, Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hey, Jason. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I was thinking the the other day that uh, one of these days we need to go to a, a rocket launch somewhere together. We should. A little rocket tourism. But uh, who knows when that will be? I don't know. I just, it just, I, I was looking at some pictures from when I was at Kennedy Space Center. And I thought, yeah, we got to do that sometime. Yeah, I don't know would, when. Maybe 2019. Be... Maybe we'll put that on the list for 2019. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm down for that. Sure. So we're going to start with some pre-flight checklist. Oh, prefect, you mean? Prefect? Pre- prefect. Prefect number one. You wanted to talk about Mars, not the planet. About, not the planet. Well, get, we have some Mars news that we're we going to talk about later uh, as a whole uh, segment. But uh, I wanted to talk about the Nat Geo TV series Mars instead for people who don't know. just I watched the uh, entire first season, which is on iTunes. I actually just bought the first season and watched it. It's six episodes, six hour-long episodes. The second season is now on Nat Geo. It's probably on on demand and stuff, too, if you get that. Um, it, I really enjoyed it. It's a weird show because I had somebody complain to me on one of my other podcasts that I, I was trying to scare people away from it and I undersold it. But the the truth is I, I really enjoyed it. And I think if you're listening to this show, then if you haven't seen it, you should try to seek it out. But it's weird in that it is an unusual format. It's a hybrid series, they call it, which is it's half documentary, like something you'd see on the National Geographic channel. And half of it is scripted. And they go back and forth. And I think it's very cleverly done where every episode is telling the story of a group of people who are on Mars. And unlike the um, Sean Penn show, they get to Mars uh, in episode one. (laughs) Uh, So the pace is much, much faster. Uh, In fact, I I think it ends up going over a few years. Um, they, They do some time jumps. Because what they're really trying to do is not only dramatize what it would be like to send people to Mars, but they want to use the drama to explore certain concepts involved with what what we'll have to deal with to prepare to go to Mars and then when we're on Mars, what people are doing today to try and figure that out. So... Uh, there's a there's like a little bit about high seas at one point. R.I.P. to high seas. I guess it's coming back. That's the uh, Hawaii thing where they were pretending to be a Mars mission. Where I think they're going to pretend to be a Moon mission now. Yes. I think that's yeah, a, yeah. they've they've recast it. But anyway, so there's there's that in there. There's a lot of Bob Zubrin because he's Mr. Mars. There's some Elon Musk in there. They talk about. Um, you know, there's one episode that's about sort of like psychological issues of long duration space flight. And they talk to Scott Kelly about his year in space. They actually show him in space. They show him going to space. They show him coming back. It's this whole thing about Scott Kelly. Um, and then, of course, the uh, the people on Mars are dealing with the fallout from some of the complicated issues of, of long duration space flight and, and being on another planet, uh, which isn't space flight, but it's not being on Earth. Um so I liked it a lot, um, and it takes a little getting used to the format, but I enjoyed it. And now the second season is exploring some other issues about commercialization of space, and 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 uh, it's a little bit further down the the storyline. So they they uh, have, but they've come back for another. I think it's another six episodes. So people should check it out. It's on Nat Geo, the National Geographic Channel, and the first season is on where you can like you can buy the season. It's not that expensive because there are only six episodes. I'm looking forward to uh, to checking this out. I've got it in iTunes ready to go. You did mention high seas. This happened a couple of weeks ago now, but it's probably worth mentioning. 
we talked about high seas a bunch where they they go to Hawaii, they the crew is put into like long duration missions. They even delay communication to the outside world like it would like it would be at Mars. And you're right, they have shifted that to uh, recreating and training for lunar missions. So back we talked about it over the summer where there was uh, a crew member that had to be taken like to the hospital and there was some some issues there. The crew was evacuated, uh, but the the work will go on. But now uh, with a uh, a bent towards lunar exploration. So I would imagine things like the the communication delay will change. The sort of uh, materials they will have will be different. Uh, so uh, high seas will still be beneficial to the space agency and the space community, but not quite the same as it's been uh, in the past. Basically, the guy who bankrolled it saw which way the wind was blowing, which is uh, toward, and we'll get to this later, but it's toward the moon now in terms of crewed missions. And uh, so as they, they basically are shifting gears, I think it's one of those things where it's very much like everybody in the administration is now talking about uh, sending people to the moon before they go to Mars. Let's just rebrand and do it that way. Uh, so the Soyuz is back in action after uh, the mishap in October where the crew was sent on a ballistic reentry after their rocket failed at separation. On Monday, Soyuz MS-11 took off from the Cosmodrome with a crew of three headed to the International Space Station. That launch seems to have gone smoothly with no issues. So it looks like this uh, vehicle, our only way to get astronauts to the International Space Station, as a reminder, because commercial crew is not up and running yet, the only way into space if you're a human being is this vehicle, and it looks like it is back operational again was a very quick turnaround from the from the mishap just just really a couple of months ago but it seems like they've got uh things resolved and they're they're good to fly again yeah it's good good thing glad to glad to see it the um the uh by the way the the, people might be wondering what happened to the the guys who were on (laughs) October 11 mishap uh, that's Nick Haig and Alexi Ovchinin, uh, and they got a new ride. They're going up February 28th from the Cosmodrome uh, with another astronaut, Christina Hannock Koch, um, and they're going to be on ISS. Theoretically, they will be greeting the first people to come from commercial crew on the to the ISS. So, so Nick Haig and Alexi Ovchinin don't have to wait or didn't miss their chance to go to space. They've got another chance, and it's uh, February 28th. It's some fun trivia. That launch marked the 100th orbital launch this year. <laughs> like a mind-blowing number to me. It's a yeah, lot of rockets. That's a lot. That's a lot. But, you know, then then there are these things where SpaceX is just paying attention to SpaceX, and it's like it's got one over there, it's got another one over there, and then there's Rocket Lab is over here, and there's just, there's a lot, a lot of a lot of space stuff going on, which is uh, good for us, I suppose. <laughs> uh, it is. SpaceX did have a launch earlier this week. They have one scheduled to go to the International Space Station, a supply run that was supposed to be ha- happened already. Now it's going to happen on Wednesday the fifth, but they flew a rocket from Vandenberg. And the, the news here is it is the first time a Falcon 9 has flown for a third time. So they've had several now that have flown for a second time. This is a new record, third time uh, on a mission. And again, worked as expected, landed safely on a drone ship. 
uh, all that went well. And this was a, a kind of a, a f- kind of a fun mission. It was sixty four uh, small satellites, CubeSats, basically a whole string of them. There's this, there's this company called Spaceflight, and they they sort of manage small satellite and CubeSat launches by basically squeezing their missions onto other rides, right? So SpaceX or somebody has a full-size satellite going up, but there's room for a CubeSat or right. two. They've got some capacity that's right. excess, and they they throw in some CubeSats or some other very small satellites. And and uh, this spaceflight company has made their, made their living on that, but they have so much backlog that they basically just bought a whole SpaceX launch for, <laughs> for their 64 small satellites that mm-hmm. they launched on this mission, which is they had to build this whole rig that uh, was basically the launcher inside that would then deploy them in the right orbits, uh, you know, at the right times in exactly the right ways, all of that. But uh, it's pretty cool, pretty cool idea. Um, and it shows you how big the the small satellite market is at this point, that they yeah. they did this whole launch with just, it's a load of small satellites. And that, that has to do with, it's a lot cheaper, to make a small satellite, and that's Rocket Lab's business model, like we talked about. And here's an example where SpaceX can play in this game too, if it has a partner like Spaceflight that can bundle a whole bunch of uh, of of their clients together in one launch. Yeah, it's it's neat. and you would assume they got a good discount if you're the first one to go a third time on the same. That's true. The same yeah, Falcon they get their 9. they get their reusable rocket, and then of course it's you know one sixty fourth of the cost or whatever, and <laughs> and you, you know it's probably a pretty decent ride. The third state, by the way, just trivia about it: uh, the first two launches were May eleventh and August seventh, so they're both this year. So this this first stage flew three times this year. Wow, uh, which is a, right a good sign in terms of the reusability because they talk about yeah. how they can go up to ten times without a major refurb. Uh, part of this is that they're on block five for the Falcon 9 now, which means that they don't, previous ones were not as reusable and uh, they kept updating the design, but they've settled on block five as basically this is what the Falcon 9 is now. And that makes it a lot easier because it's it's this configuration. It's always going to be this configuration. And um, and you can see that they've turned it, they managed to turn it around May to August to December and get that same rocket three times. And, and of course, Elon Musk talks about being able to turn it around much faster than that. Also, I've seen a lot of stories about this rocket that said they think that it might be able to, to launch 10 times. That What SpaceX says is it's 10 times without a major refurb. But they think that it might be able to go, and again, it's SpaceX, who knows whether they're exaggerating this or not. They think that they might even be able to launch these things up to 100 times, but after 10-ish, you know, we'll see. They'll, they'll, at some point, they'll, they'll launch it for the fourth time and the fifth time. At some point, they'll be like, mm, now we need to do some more work on here. But mm-hmm. they, they, the whole idea here is they build enough of these things, and they get them in a quick cycle, and then all of a sudden, you've got uh, drastically reduced cost. To get these things into space, mm-hmm. there's some p- the pictures of the launch, and you'll notice that the first stage is uh, dirty, and that's something that SpaceX talked about a while back. That it, one way to speed this up and keep the cost down is not to scrub down the first stage and repaint it every time. So it, you know, it it's all sort of uh, uh, gray and singed, and uh, you know, it's got got stuff on it. But again, the idea is that the cosmetics aren't that vital, right? The idea right. is. Turn it around, make sure it's safe to fly again, and don't worry about things that are not in line with that goal. And so as SpaceX moves forward, we will see more of these 
sort of two tone Falcon nines <laughs> where the bottom is gray and then they have the white, you know, pristine upper stage that's of course only used once. Yeah, the um it reminds me of the space shuttle where they decided to after a while they're like, We're not gonna paint the insulation on the external tank anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. and now those pictures look weird, right? When you see the yeah. first shuttle launches the, with the, the all white, white tank, the all white shuttle looks weird. When that was, you know, at the time, that was like, well, this is what the space shuttle is. And then they're like, yeah, it's going to be kind of orangey from now yeah. on and not match because we're going to save time and money and not bother. Wait. Yeah, yeah. But they got their pretty pictures with the all white. It's just that's not even the iconic space shuttle anymore. So, mm-hmm. so they also uh, not a record for people who are wondering sixty four satellites. That must be an amazing achievement. It was, but India launched one hundred and four small satellites <laughs> in a mission last year. So uh, that's a bunch of cubesats. It's a lot, a lot of cubesats there. A lot, a lot of small satellites, and uh, no, it's pretty cool. And we've got more cubesat news in our main topic, which is about Mars. But uh, that's those are cubesats on a from another planet. <laughs> so. <laughs> we'll we'll wait <laughs> and talk about those in a little bit. Before we do get to Mars, though, and, and, and talk about some other outer solar system robots that are roaming around, we should probably take a break. Uh, I can tell you about our first sponsor. It's it's Squarespace. Space podcast. Squarespace is a place where you can go to make your next move, create a website for your next idea, a unique domain, award-winning templates, a whole lot more. Whether you want to create an online store, a portfolio for your work, maybe you want to start out a blog. I hear blogging is hot. Yeah. If you want to put your word somewhere that you own instead of it being on someone else's platform, a blog is a way to do that. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you Basically, take your idea and make it real. Nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of the computery stuff. Squarespace will worry about that. You just build your website. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name for your site. And they've got award-winning templates that are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. Plans are incredibly cheap. Started just $12 a month. But you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash liftoff. When you decide to sign up, use the offer code liftoff and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and you'll show your support for this show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash liftoff and the code liftoff to get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you to Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. Maybe your next move will be into space. So we have some robotic missions to catch up on. Yay, robots in space. Uh, Those are my favorite kind of robots. Mine too. <laughs> I think Ooh. we should start with InSight. So the the landing yeah. was last week. You and I watched it and watched it on the internet, which was which was fun. And uh, I'm sure everyone knows at this point, but that was a successful uh, descent and landing on the red planet. Yeah, we did it. We uh, we watched it. We did one of those videos where it's like a reaction video that's live, although now it's a reaction video that's not live. So now it's just a reaction video, I guess, where we watched it and streamed that live. That, that'll give everybody an opportunity to say, well, you guys have faces and, uh, and you know, bodies and are not disembodied voices. But it was fun to watch that with you. And um, it all happened so fast. Like they've gotten really good at producing those uh, those shows and 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 but the most amazing thing is I don't know if you remember this previous Mars landers what they've had to do is there's been a long wait right long wait for the data to come by and then maybe they get a chirp and then maybe much later they get a picture and that because of something that uh, called Marco which we can talk about um, they had and other hardware that we've got at Mars like 
there wasn't really a very long time that we were out of contact with Insight as it was landing. We kind of had data basically all the way down and knew instantly, uh, other than the speed of light, that it was landed. And then that first photo came by uh, with a little dust on the lens cap almost immediately. It just, it happened so fast. And I never felt like we had that white knuckle moment where it was out of contact and we didn't know what was going on. It just sort of all worked all the way down. Yeah, I had that that feeling as well that, you know, there were a few moments where you're kind of waiting for things to come in, but it wasn't at all at all the sort of uh, terrifying silence, right, until until the thing says, you know, hey, I'm here, I'm okay. Part right. of it was this the X-band beeping they did where they could be picked up by not only the Deep Space Network, but the, uh, like, uh, teles- radio telescopes here on Earth. Uh, but the the Marco CubeSats played a big role in this too. So we talked about this way back when Insight launched. But these are basically two CubeSats that traveled with Insight on its way to Mars, and their whole job was to basically monitor the entry and descent and to relay that information back to us. So it you are out of the sort of uh, blackout you get when you go through an atmosphere. You're not waiting on the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter to come or swing around the planet and see you. Uh, those CubeSats were there to, to act as a relay. So the first time we've seen this, and it seems to have worked very well. NASA and JPL both said that they were very pleased with the way the system works. And yeah. my guess is we're going to see a lot more of this with future missions, uh, I would assume, including Mars 2020, where they're using CubeSats in this way to to kind of bridge that divide. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason they did it is because they didn't, um, the timing wasn't going to work to have a spacecraft on that side in order to do the relay, um, just the geometry. But it, you know, this is that, we talk about the CubeSat revolution a lot, and this is another great example of that, where they just threw in a couple of, um, I heard them described as briefcase-sized little uh, spacecraft as relays, and they put two on, basically just for redundancy, but they both worked. They both kept the lock uh, on radio contact with Insight as it went down and relayed that stuff back to Earth. Uh, they returned some pictures. You can see some little pictures where it's got its antenna and Mars is in the background. There are these little yeah. low-resolution pictures, but it's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you think about access to, to space and the things that people can do on Earth or around Earth with CubeSats, um, the idea that you're riding to Mars, I mean, the same thing applies. You could you could potentially have some small satellites or even CubeSats that can do work for you uh, around Mars and maybe even going to other other planets. Now, there's some issues of like propulsion and, and uh, you know, this was a, a mission that was tracked specifically for InSight to descend. So the, the Marco CubeSats are not in Mars orbit. They're in a heliocentric orbit. They're, they're kind of just going out there. Uh, away from Mars, but uh, still, there are there are lots of opportunities for this kind of tech in the future, and it was very cool to see this happen because you know not only did we land a lander on Mars successfully, but it was all relayed through little mini, you know, mini satellites that we popped out before it landed. It just got pretty amazing, and that that was again when I say it all went fast. That's kind of what I mean is that everything worked. And, you know, we've come a long way to solving a lot of these problems of uh, of staying in contact. And I understand how hard it is to land on Mars, um, but the, the, the strides that they're making in terms of 
not only successfully landing these things, but in terms of how quickly the data comes back. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a press release that includes that photo from Marco B with Mars, and it's it's part of its uh, structure uh, on the CubeSat in the foreground. It's it's a it's a pretty wild image. But there's something here that really caught my eye at the bottom of the press release, saying that the a lot of the engineers who worked on Marco, it was like their first experience on a NASA mission. Many of them were early stages of their career, and I think that's I think that's really exciting to me. You know, we talk about CubeSats being really flexible and they're much lower cost. But part of that is that it requires less experience to get into them in the first place, right? And so I think we're going to continue to see this technology progress and with it, people who maybe wouldn't be part of a, a, a mission like this be able to join it with their new ideas and their new takes on things. And I find that angle to this exciting as well, that it broadens who could work on these uh-huh. missions for uh, for space agencies and gives them a more diverse pool of engineers and designers and technicians to work on their projects. Yeah, it makes me start to wonder, too, if we will see more planetary exploration like this, because the same rules apply in terms of just how expensive it is to do a launch to send something to Jupiter or Saturn or, you know, any of the outer planets or the asteroids or any really anywhere The the rocket and and the, the crews to get there. It's very expensive. It doesn't happen very often. And with this kind of tech, yeah, could you see a similar situation where there is a big exploration craft but uh, and we've seen it where there have been sort of like there's a lander in an orbiter or something like that. But could you see it where there's in addition to having the big mission, there's also, you know, four or five little guys who are just hitching a ride and are going to go off and do their own thing. Or even if it's a couple more, even if it's more than a CubeSat, but it's got a little bit more instrumentation, you know, you, you start uh, increasing the access, I guess is my point, to having smaller smaller missions that are hitching a ride. And so I think the CubeSat stuff is going to pay dividends across the solar system in the next, you know, decades. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I think that's really um, something to keep an eye out for is as this sort of next generation of solar system exploration starts to form. You know, you've got the Europa missions, either one or two of them. <laughs> it's a big question mark right now, but it, all these things I think can be can benefit from the technology that's being developed now for these these small satellites. Uh, we also need to talk about uh, OSIRIS-REx, which is the spacecraft that has traveled now 2 billion kilometers to an uh, asteroid uh, named Bennu. And the, the idea here is to uh, basically look at this uh, asteroid. They're using laser altimeter and all this stuff to do a mapping of it. But it's going to be a sample return mission. So we will have, if all, everything goes as, goes well in the fall of 2023... We will have material from this asteroid uh, back here on Earth, which, you know, sample returns are are relatively rare. So this is a a unique mission. And the news is that OSIRIS-REx rendezvoused with its target this week. So it is now in orbit around its asteroid and will will begin a long process of mapping it, looking for a place to fly in close and gather sample. Uh, All of that work will begin here in the coming weeks. Yeah, I saw somebody, and I I can't find the term now, I'm looking for it, but the the challenge with something like this is that Bennu is so small um, that what they ended up doing was saying that it's basically a, um, 
uh, they they entered the sphere of Bennu's gravitational influence, uh, which is you know it's a super technical thing, but this is a you know it, it's it's pulled alongside it, right? Like it's not it, it hasn't landed on it or anything. It's just it's reached it, and now it's just kind of hanging out, um, which uh, it's cool because then so I I guess. Um, you, you mentioned orbit earlier. I think technically it doesn't go into orbit until December 31st. Right now it's just in station keeping. Okay. So it's like within hailing distance, uh, but uh, but not not going around it yet. Uh, and you can do that with uh, an object like this that is, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty small, pretty light gravity. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. And yes, sample returns are super rare. So that's very exciting possibly. It's actually the uh, the smallest object that we've ever orbited with a spacecraft. Like the length is like five. I don't even think it's quite five football fields. Like it is not a big asteroid. It's it, about the. It's about the. Um, its width is is slightly higher than the Empire State Building. That puts it in perspective. Some. It's not a huge body. In doing a sample return, we can learn more about. Again, we talk about this a lot. We talk about with Insight, even looking at the way Mars is formed, knowing more about how the solar system is put together. And the materials in it, uh, this will be a big step in that direction. If all this goes as planned, and this spacecraft can gather its sample and return that to us, that will unlock a lot of uh, mystery about just the, the stuff that makes up our solar system. And I'm always impressed by these pictures of asteroids because they are. You, I always kind of pictured them as as rocks, and when you see them, it's like a desert landscape or a mars terrain mm-hmm. wrapped in wrapped in a, a round-ish shape it, it you know it's got individual boulders and rocks and stuff on it um it's not you know it's not just a rock it's a chunk of terrain that's floating around out there it's pretty cool so yeah so we will uh, keep up with that like i said the mapping was supposed to start early next year and yep. uh this this mission's got years to go we will keep up with it Lots of space activity that we'll be catching up with in the next uh, few months. With, with, uh, uh, so we got Insight on Mars. We got Osiris Rex at Bennu. Uh, we've got uh, New Horizons headed for its rendezvous with Ultima Thule. Uh, you got a lot. There's a lot going on in the next um, really month and two month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty pretty exciting. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about some of that stuff in a section you've labeled Moon Madness. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, boy. But first, I want to tell you about our second sponsor. This episode of Liftoff is brought to you by StoryWorth, the easiest way to share your family stories. We all have that one family member. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's a sister or mother-in-law. Who, they just have the best stories. The tales about the first family in the neighborhood to get a TV, a memorable trip, a hilarious college prank. But StoryWorth makes it easy and fun for your loved ones to share those stories. Here's how it works. You buy a subscription for someone you love, and every week, StoryWorth will send them an email with a question about their life. And these are these are really great Questions, questions that you would never think to ask yourself. The recipient will reply to the email with their story, or they can record an answer over the phone, and that's it. All the stories are totally private. They're only shared with the family that you choose. And after a year, all the stories are bound up into a beautiful keepsake book to share with future generations. StoryWorth is a great way of staying in touch with family members who live far away. And with StoryWorth, like I said, you can write stories in an email. They can upload photos on the web. It's all really straightforward. 
And you can share their stories with as many people as you want. Just invite them by email and they'll see what's going on. And you can save and edit all your stories at storyworth.com. So I am doing this with a family member, with my dad. Uh, He gets the emails. I see what questions he gets. He replies to them. I see the replies all in real time. And I'm really looking forward to seeing all of these things together at the end of our year. StoryWorth is a great gift for the holidays. If you have a family member, you don't know what to get. This is a great thing to consider. Why not get it for someone you care about who loves telling stories? Listeners of this show can get $20 off their subscription by visiting storyworth.com slash liftoff. That's $20 off when you visit storyworth.com slash liftoff. Our thanks to StoryWorth for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. All right, Jason. So my understanding is basically anyone now can build a lunar lander or rover or something. What, 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 what is going on here? What are we waiting for? It's our Let's turn. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's make it happen because uh, it's all part of uh, something called CLPS, which they have not yet pronounced as CLPS, I think, but it's it's going to happen, um, which stands for Com- Commercial Lunar Payload Services. So there was a media event that happened where... Bridenstine, the NASA administrator, did like his American Idol kind of thing where he announced um, nine partnerships with companies that are finalists in uh, this idea to have commercial access to the moon. We talked about this when we talked about the lunar prospector getting killed. Um, and this, there's not an old man with a pickaxe on the moon who died. That's not what that's not what this is. Uh, but uh, at the time, that was a, a lander concept uh, and some instruments. And the idea was to check some stuff out on the surface of the moon. And they're like, no, 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 we're going to do it with commercial partners instead. And this is the other part of that, which is they're still working on some instruments. What they want to do is basically provide incentives for companies who are trying to build lunar landers. So the idea that you could dr- put stuff down on the moon's surface, maybe bring some stuff back out. And it's part of this kind of ratcheting up of this plan to put gateway out in uh in lunar orbit uh with people on it the new sort of the next international space station uh is instead this lunar space station and then you have the commercial landers that are being built for the moon and then you have started to create kind of a a new commercial space ecosystem around the moon that is bankrolled by uh, by international space agencies, including NASA. So uh, this was a weird event. There was a lot of filler. There was a long thing that was meant to be inspirational about like kids in the sciences, which was, it was very nice. It was not news. Um, the nine partnerships, they basically had people walk out on stage and shook their hands and then they went and sat down and they didn't really go into any detail in that part about what these companies were working on, which was also very strange it was a super strange event. The journalists who were there were all really grumpy about it. Um, it was almost like a cross between a, a NASA event and an Apple event. Um, and what it reminded me is that Apple does a pretty good job with their events <laughs> because it was not not that great. But <laughs> but commercial lunar payload services, uh, the, you know, those nine companies include Lockheed Martin and eight companies you've never heard of. Uh, but the goal is to build landers to bring payloads from Gateway. Uh, ultimately, and instruments down to the moon. Um, and Bridenstine also made the, a comment at the event that he thinks we're 10 years away from continued human presence on the moon. Oh, boy. Which, uh, which so not, and that, that doesn't count Gateway, I think, that, or maybe it does, but Gateway's not on the moon. It's going to be around the moon. And, you know, the idea here 
is that once you've got uh, once you've got a space station and you've got a fleet of things that can go down to the lunar surface, then you can start doing things like building a base and doing research and all sorts of other things. But I, you know, I feel like Bridenstine has uh, has been taking lessons from Elon Musk about making bold predictions that are absolutely no in no way going to come true in that kind of time frame. I think that's a fair assessment of the of that uh, estimate yeah. on his part. Yeah, it was a super weird event, but I mean, I like the idea that they're doing it. I mean, one of the things that you saw, um, by the way, around the uh, the Insight launch and this Moon event, is the contrast between what uh, what the Obama administration and the Trump administration think about space, because. Uh, Insight lands and there's a Charlie Bolden uh, tweet. He was the NASA administrator in the Obama administration saying, this is really great. Uh, You know, Mars is awesome. We're going to send people to Mars. Mars is great. And when you talk to Bridenstine there um, and he he says, yay, Mars is great. We're going to go to the moon. Yeah. (laughs) And it's just like that is that is just a fundamental difference is that this administration, their goal is moon first jumping off point mars later and the obama administration was very much like let's go to mars and not Mm -hmm. not waste time around the moon and it's just a fundamental different different view that they have and you can see it whenever you hear from people involved in the last group or the current group but moon is the focus for the for for space for the current administration and nasa is definitely pushing a lot of uh, uh of stuff in that direction how do you what do you read into or how do you feel about the exclusion of SpaceX and Blue Origin in this program? Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? I I don't know enough about this program to understand whether that whether they're they, they feel like they want other players or or not. The, the the thing that confuses me, I joke about it, but like Lockheed Martin is in there. Yeah. Sierra Nevada is too, which you know they're working on a, a vehicle as well. Yeah, so there are some familiar names in there, but not a lot. And there are a bunch that were kind of interested and were um, omitted. So I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. Um, I, I feel like it will come into focus as time goes on because this was pitched as finalists and uh, there were not a lot of details, but it does at least uh, allow the other shoe to drop in terms of the administration and, and NASA saying, here's what our moon game plan is, instead of just being sort of vague about, no, there'll be commercial opportunities now. They're like, no, we've got some finalists. They're working on stuff. They've got some lander concepts that they're working on. We're definitely, Mm -hmm. um, you know, basically they're paying them to do more research, at which point they will then evaluate the proposals and um, make some more final funding decisions about what the, you know, these are finalists. So there will eventually be funding for direct kind of missions to the to the lunar surface from these things. I don't know. It's, um, it's, they're laying groundwork. Uh, it's, I think would be easy to argue that, that it's also just, uh, they want to, they want people to think that there's stuff going on, whether there is or not, or at what level it is. They want to keep that in, in people's minds that they are, um, they're trying to push the, the moon plan ahead. I think that's a fair assessment. I think that's that's where I come down as well, that some, some of these companies, they may get somewhere, you know, they may end up with hardware or programs that that go onto missions, right? But a lot of the stuff is going to kind of be like the Google X, like the Lunar Prize deal from a couple years ago, where there's like some research and some development, but it ultimately doesn't lead to a vehicle that's used. And 
that's fine as long as everyone's clear about what's happening, right? And I think that's my problem with this is that this mm-hmm. is – and I actually didn't uh, – I actually couldn't sit through the whole thing. Oh, me neither. <laughs> it, was, no, it, was, it, was, it was painful. It was painful. I think as long as they can, NASA continues to communicate, okay, these are finalists, this is what this means – we're moving forward. This is footage from their tests. Like, as long as there is transparency in this, I feel better about it. But it does feel like right now, like, hey, we just need people to be talking about it and doing some research, and so we're going to fund that, and that's all great. But I just want to, I want to see real progress out of this program as it moves forward. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Like, it, it is. You know, I think it could be really cool, right? I think Moon Access is great. I I went when I was at at uh, at. Uh, Ames Research Center. I saw their little lunar sandbox thing, and they were talking about instruments and and trying to figure out how to check uh, polar craters for ice. Like, there's a lot to be done on the moon if we want to go there. Um, the frustration is that this feels a very, very, very early days, despite call, or uh, despite Bridenstein saying ten years. Like, this feels like the kind of thing where in ten years maybe there are some landers. When there's competition, that's that's another thing that I I think is not talked about a lot, but China has a lot of plans for lunar exploration too. And the um, I wonder if some of the pressure on NASA from this administration is this concern as a political threat, honestly, that if China ends up landing, let's say, people on the moon, <laughs> that... Uh, that makes us look really bad. <laughs> and uh, if if some of this is sort of like declaring their intention to, to also be uh, headed back to the moon. I don't know. I don't know. Mm. Um, I want to mention, before we go, I want to mention a, a story that I read and enjoyed that people might want to check out. And uh, we mentioned on the last show, I, I believe, that John Culberson, who is the Republican congressman from uh, Houston— and he uh, he was the big Europa proponent proponent on the uh, the funding subcommittee and made sure that NASA got money and demanded that NASA work on a Europa um, uh, orbiter and a Europa lander. And Culberson was voted out in the midterm elections. And uh, Eric Berger has a good story at Ars Technica that talks about the state of the Europa missions. And it's sort of uh, he was there when Culberson like went to went to JPL to meet with people after he had lost the election. It was kind of like a little valedictory um, and, a, and a farewell for him. Um, I kept thinking, uh, surely the next step here is that Culberson is going to get appointed to some position at NASA, right? <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe he's not interested in that. But I kept thinking, you know, he's a Republican. Uh, he lost his job. He loves space stuff. Would they not? Uh, try to do that. Maybe he's not interested, or maybe he'll have a uh, lucrative aerospace industry lobbying <laughs> job waiting for him. I don't know, but uh, it's a good piece because it really basically says that the Europa um, orbiter seems like it's in pretty good shape, but the lander mission is in in uh, a much more open question, given that the person who holds the uh, purse strings will be different. They did point out, and I had not thought of this, but I think it's actually a, a, an important political point, which is that um, a new senior ranking Democrat in the House is going to be Adam Schiff. Now, he is going to be in charge of the uh, oversight committee um, 
in the House, and they will presumably be doing a whole lot of investigating of the Trump administration over the next two years. But um, Adam Schiff's point of power, and he's not going to be in the purse string portion. Wow, that was a lot of peas uh, of the the budget portion of the House of Representatives. Uh, he's going to be over in the investigatory portion in terms of his committee chairmanship, but he's going to have a lot of clout. And uh, this is important because Adam Schiff represents JPL. Uh, Pasadena is in his district. Mm -hmm. And basically with stuff like this, you do look for people who are going to be in power who have a reason to promote space stuff. And Culberson, obviously being in Houston, cared about this a lot uh, from the perspective of Houston being a big aerospace city. Um, But Adam Schiff is uh, the rep for uh, JPL. And so there's some hope, I think, at JPL that he's going to be able to uh, keep some of these projects on track just through his, um, you know, his presence as a, a senior Democrat in the House. There's going to be a lot to to look at there, a lot to keep up with as this new Congress comes in, well, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 the story mentions that, you know, you, you even have to call into question things like, um, like uh, SLS versus SpaceX. I don't want to turn this into SLS segment, but <laughs> one of the things that uh, Eric Berger writes about is how uh, to Culberson's face, they were like, nope, SLS, it's great because Culberson has sort of a deal with a senator from Alabama and the Shelby and they work on this like because they built the rockets in Alabama. Um, but in the background, like SpaceX now is a viable option, maybe even the best option for the Europa uh, Clipper orbiter mission. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really interesting because that is a thing that was used as a, a, one of the justifications for uh, for the, the SLS. Right. So there's a lot. I mean, this is one of those things where we saw space policy change when uh, the presidential election happened. We will see space policy change again because of the change in power in the House of Representatives, because it changes the dynamic there. And we'll just have to see what it is. But it's a fascinating article, uh, really in-depth, talking about the details of the space stuff and also about like this guy who has been the biggest cheerleader and funder for parts of NASA for all of this time, who's out. And like that, that, from a human scale, is also kind of fascinating. So anyway, people should check that article out. It's great. Uh, Eric's stuff is always so good. Yeah, we should have him on sometime. We'll have to do that. Yeah. Uh, Real quick before we wrap up, I just wanted to remind everybody, next week we will be talking about Apollo 8, where we sent three crew around the moon. So this is uh, the next in our uh, series covering the Apollo missions at their 50th anniversary. So we had Apollo 7 a while back, and 8 is uh, up next. So look for that uh, in two weeks. It'll be a lot of fun to... To get together and talk about that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's uh, th- Those have been a lot of fun. And this is a fun mission mm-hmm. around the moon. Uh, less much, mutiny. Much, much, yeah, less, less mutiny. I was going to say much more fun than the three angry guys trapped yeah. uh, with colds in a, in a space capsule. Yeah. yeah. Apollo 7 was not not. not this one's going to be better. I, I'm sure of it. This one's going to be way better. We'll have to see if we bring back our astronaut impressions like we did on 7, though. Oh, that'll be great. I'll, I'll work on my uh, my mission control voice. <laughs> if you want to find links to stuff we talked about this week, head on over to relay.fm slash liftoff slash 86. While you're there, there are a couple of things you can do. You can find a link to our Tumblr where we post uh, stories and links to space stuff in between episodes. You can send us an email there as well and become a member and support the show. 
Uh, or you can find uh, more stuff on Twitter. The show is at Liftoff Podcast. Jason is at J Snell. And you can find me there as ISMH. And until our next fortnight, Jason, say goodbye. Bye, buddy. Adios. Adios.